At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Peyton Hughes to talk about heirloom, tomatoes, and the web series. Peyton is the star and co-creator of the hit digital series Heirloom on Vimeo, written by Becca Brunstetter, also of NBC's This Is Us, and co-starring Margaret Collin, Tom Wopat, Pascal Armand, Ryan Cooper, and John Lavelle. This semi-autobiographical web series follows the character Emily, who gives up her struggling acting career in New York to move to California and farm heirloom tomatoes on a property she inherits. Peyton, who really did move to Northern California and become a first-time farmer, sells her juicy organic tomatoes to several local restaurants in Sonoma. She is very committed to preserving nature, supporting local, and organic farming. The show's flavor carries her pro-environmental, sustainability, and organic preferences. Welcome to the show today, Peyton. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Absolutely. You bet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Yeah. Um... So I guess it's been one of those windy, weavy paths. Um, I am an actress. I live in New York part-time, and I live in Sonoma part-time. 
And I guess I sort of stumbled into organic tomato farming because uh, my fiance and I have a house in Healdsburg, California, uh-huh. which is about an hour and a half north of San Francisco. And there was an old garden plot uh, that was sort of overgrown and decrepit above the house. Mm-hmm. And being someone that could kill a cactus, we, you know, we thought it would be fun to plant some things. And so the first year we just planted, you know, a few tomato plants, some peppers, some basil, some, you know, zucchini, watermelon, and just sort of went to town and had a good time with it. Uh And I have a friend named Edith who was over having dinner one night, and she sort of remarked about how amazing the tomatoes were and that they were the best tomatoes she'd ever had in Mm -hmm. her entire life. And she said, Peyton, you should be selling these. And I was like, okay, Edith, that's about the weirdest thing that anyone ever said to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know who you talk to about that. Like, how do you get started selling tomatoes? It's Mm -hmm. so strange. And quite frankly, I'm doing enough strange things with my life, um, pursuing acting. So Uh I've got enough on my plate. And I actually flew back to New York the next day for a Shakespeare gig. And without me knowing it, Edith sort of snuck into the garden and took some tomatoes. Oh my and, gosh. And brokered a deal at a local restaurant for me. So that, you know, that first year, I made $900 off of tomatoes. Wow. I know. And then the following year, I was attached to a movie that. We thought it was going to be my big break. It was a really Mm -hmm. big deal. And then the studio put it into turnaround about a month before we were supposed to start shooting. And so I just at that point had felt like I'd been spinning my wheels for a long time with acting and needed to actually see the fruits of my labor, Uh puns intended. And so I sort of went to town expanding the garden plot and I didn't really think about it. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just sort of wanted to make a garden and to plant tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So that year I planted 250 plants. Oh, wow. Not realizing how many <laughs> tomatoes that was. Yeah. And then they grew as they did. And I sort of got back to the, to the farm and, um, looked at them, had a panic attack because I felt largely responsible for um, having made these, you know, tomatoes become tomatoes. Uh And so I made little sample bags and I started taking them around town. It was a Friday afternoon at five o'clock. I was covered in dirt and I was just so desperate. Um, And so like I remember (laughs) the first restaurant I walked into, I just sort of stood in the restaurant and I was like, hi, uh, can I talk to whoever buys produce for you? Uh-huh. You know, and they were a little afraid that I was scaring off the customers. So everyone <laughs> agreed to take the sample bag and then let me, let me leave, you uh-huh. know, don't call us, we'll call you. Right. But the tomatoes were really good. And so, um, that's kind of how I started the business. Wow kind of out of your control. It was like the universe stepped in and said, we're doing this. Exactly. Yeah. It was, you know, sometimes you're given tomatoes, not lemons. Oh, oh, that's good. (laughs) 
Yeah. That's good. So I have started watching your web show, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. But I've started wa- watching your web show, and episode one kind of has this flavor of an actress that is just really not happy with acting. In fact, the first minute and a half is kind of unsettling, I would say. And mm, yeah. And it sounds to me like there's that's kind of a reflection of of your life and how you got here. Is that am I am I on on track here or am I blowing smoke? No, definitely. Um it's funny because there's a lot that's fictionalized in mm-hmm. heirloom, but the seeds of it are definitely all sort of from me. It was funny because I think, you know, having having been an actor for a while and having lots of friends mm-hmm. um, and loved ones who are also actors, I think that most of us go through that sort of situation yeah. where... You know, acting is one of the best, most amazing, fulfilling careers you can choose when you get to do it. And there's a lot of time in between when your Broadway show ends and when your next TV gig is sometimes. Or some weeks, you know, like last week I had seven auditions, which is insane. Um, So just the prep for that is like, it's enormous. Whereas you know, I might not have had any auditions the week before. Uh-huh. Um, and so that sort of a balancing act is also a little tricky about it. And I definitely think like you walk into these rooms and you have no control. You have no idea what's going to be thrown at you. Mm-hmm. It all happens really quickly. And a lot of times you're reading bad writing too. <laughs> and so you're just sort of like, oh God, like this isn't what I meant when you know, when I was whatever age you were and had the first seed of a dream of Mm -hmm. wanting to be an actor. And so I think you definitely, in episode one, see Emily struggling with that, struggling with, this is not fun, this is not creative, I'm working my ass off, I'm not respected, I'm not doing what I love, I don't even know what that looks like anymore. Uh And, you know, I think that that is really a place where change can happen for anyone. I think a lot of people go through that in their careers, in their lives, as you've sort of like lived one sort of storyline of your life out. And then you've gotten to a point where you're like, you know what? I've learned enough about accounting. Uh I'm ready to like, you know, up and go. Uh Like, what else do I want to do? And so I think that's where we kind of meet Emily in episode one. Yeah, nice. Nice. So, but the characters in here, in Heirloom, they kind of reflect people that are actually in your life. Yeah, definitely a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, Tom Wopat plays Lynn Brown. There's really a Lynn Brown, is there not? There is really a Lynn Brown. Um, He's quite a well-known farmer in Uh the Bay Area, actually. He provides a lot of the produce to some of the bigger restaurants in Napa and San Mm -hmm. Francisco, like the French Laundry and Bouchons, all of those lovely places, Cindy's Backstreet Kitchen. And so I met Lynn and, you know, you drive up into his farm. It's one of the most difficult places to find just because there's not a map. 
mm-hmm. he sort of has a Yelp page now, but like there's no, he's never spent a dime in marketing uh-huh. or anything. And there literally is just this sort of wooden sign that points and says farm. And you sort of go back along these back road driveways in Calistoga and stumble upon Forney Brown and Welch. And their whole operation is just magical. Mm. Everything is planted in these gorgeous rows. They grow anything and everything you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have 18 different kinds of basil. And it's just sort of magic. And Lynn's face lights up when he's talking about anything that he's growing yeah. or anything that he has heard about that you know he should be growing or mm-hmm. anything. And sort of his passion for it and his knowledge and excitement about passing that along to everyone that comes to see him was just really infectious to me. Like I was so inspired by it and, you know, passion is, is something that I definitely try to leave, leave my life with. Yeah. And so he sort of helped me kind of fall in love with tomatoes. Mm. So in episode two of Heirloom, your your series, that, that's as far as I've gotten, by the way. In episode two, okay. that's when you meet Lynn. And there's this, this interaction where he's kind of a little bit standoffish. And then he surprises us and invites you for a drink. You know, just like a soda. Yeah. And soda pop, yeah. A soda pop, yeah. And is is that how is that kind of how it went when you arrived at his farm? That's a fictional piece, but I don't even remember the first time I met Lynn. Actually, to be mm-hmm. honest, it was it was almost like I've known Lynn forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone feels that way about him. Mm-hmm. But what we really were trying to do with that scene in particular was to just sort of have this very grounded, centered fulfilled and happy person um sort of take a look at emily who when you're meeting her you know she's really struggling to find that she's struggling to change gears in her life and figure out what her next steps are and she's made this huge jump of moving across the country leaving everything she knows Mm -hmm. everything she's comfortable with and starting over with literally nothing except an old fallen apart house and so you know sometimes I think those small moments in life of someone just being like you look like you need a soda Mm -hmm. and then also you know she sort of finds him in the middle of the row of tomatoes and she says you know okay I'm here I'm here to buy plants I need to buy plants Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of a very New York way of approaching (laughs) like you know I know let me get down to business yeah um and she does it very friendly because that's sort of her MO, but she, you know, she definitely gets down to business. Whereas Lynn sort of says, you know, stop and smell the roses or yeah. let's stop and drink an orange pop. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you that scene where he hands you a, an heirloom tomato. And it, it has me bite into it. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of surprising. That was one of those things. Okay. You know, when, when, what went through my mind when he handed it to you, it was like, okay, she's going to take it home. But no, you actually took a bite out of it right there on, on camera. And it was, it was a, a surprising moment 
And in fact, I'll say that that's one of the things that I like about your show is there's a lot of fun, surprising moments. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I think you've built those into it, haven't you? A little bit, yeah. We definitely built in moments for surprises to happen, too, I think. Um, But having to me, you know, a lot of times we sort of jokingly refer to Heirloom as the show where everyone's biting into tomatoes. Like, that was really, I don't know, like, we just really wanted to spread the tomato love, basically. And I think that there is something very special about being in wine country Mm. and you're, everyone's just sort of like, like the produce is so beautiful and mm-hmm. special yeah. there, especially. And like, everyone's like, Oh, here, like, here's a, here's a pepper bite. Like just, just have it, you know, and you bite into it and it's like, Oh my God, what am I eating? This is right. the crunchiest, most delicate, beautiful green bell pepper I've ever eaten. Mm-hmm. How did you make it? And they, you know, it's, it's just a quotidian thing there. Yeah. But, but yeah. So let's, I I got one more question for you. Then I want to talk about tomatoes. So what was the inspiration to actually do a Vimeo series or a series on this? Good question. We, you know, again, thank God for friends. It might even have been the same friend. It might have been Edith who, so she and her husband live about 30 minutes away from us. And he used to run the local theater. He was the head of the board for the Raven Theater in Healdsburg. Um, and he's great because he's this lovely Yorkshireman who has a great speaking <laughs> voice. Uh-huh. And he loves storytelling. So whenever I have to tape auditions and I'm in Sonoma, um, he reads them with me. And sometimes Edith does too if I need a woman. And so they've definitely read their share of some bad scripts that you're uh-huh. handed as an actress trying to make your mark and um, just starting out. And one day Edith was sort of laughing about it and she just said, oh my God, your story about the tomatoes is like a million times better than this. <laughs> and I was sort of like, huh, okay. And so I called Becca Brunstetter and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to talk for a second. Tell me if I'm crazy or tell me if you think we have a story here. Both. And so she was like, yes, there's a story. (laughs) So we worked to develop the storyline and um, craft it. Um, We started out doing a web series just because we haven't really seen a romantic comedy web series sort Uh of be successful yet. And so it felt like... an unexplored terrain that was a little more manageable for us Mm -hmm. and interesting to us to be able to kind of come in and do something a little different rather than just making an indie film, trying to get it into festivals, all of that. Mm. It felt a little more exciting to sort of throw our hat into the rink and say, let's actually make a web series the way that a web series can and should be done. So we're seeing a lot of entertainment move towards short form, move towards yeah. these little bites. Right. And I'm so excited about that, but it's also a little bit of an unexplored terrain. And mm-hmm. so it felt like a good area for disruption and yeah. um, to be able to really have a voice in what that form could and should be. 
Well, it leaves me wanting more because each episode is about 10 minutes. And yeah. I find that it's like, oh, hold on here. This is why this is why, this is why I've only in a week only watched two episodes because I don't want it to run out too fast, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to do a season two? We hope so. We're, we're ready with our ideas. If anyone knows anyone at Lifetime TV Land, Hallmark, ABC Family, um, <laughs> yeah. any network that, that might be sort of interested in having a millennial women story about empowerment and yeah. love, um, you know, give a holler. Yeah. Amen. Right. Amen to that. <laughs> So let's talk tomatoes. I noticed on your website, the cast is all uh, kind of subtitled with tomato names. Oh, yeah. Which is quite cool. That's true. So how do you choose your tomatoes? You know, tell us about your tomato story. I listen to Lynn a lot when I'm choosing my varieties. Uh-huh. Um, and then each year I sort of adjust based on what did really well the year before, what Mm, didn't. mm -hmm. Um, And then I try some new things. And um, sometimes Lynn and I get into arguments about, (laughs) you know, well, I just didn't plant something right, or I change up the corner of the garden in which I planted it. And and so you kind of go from there. But I definitely, I think the most fun I have when I'm choosing the varieties is to sort of play with the different colors, to play with the different flavors, to play with the different names and just kind of make this big basket. And you don't like, I plant way more tomatoes than is sane for anyone uh-huh. plant. But yep. even if you're just like, let's say you have room to plant 12 tomato plants. Mm-hmm. I think that like going in and, you know, having definitely two different varieties of cherry tomatoes is good. Oh, right. And then having, like, a few different beef steaks. Having, like, if you want to can tomatoes, then I would have, like, two sort of Marzano, like, Romas, those kinds. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise, like, I definitely think, like, go for things that you might not have heard of. Ask around, like, whether you're at a Home Depot or another hardware store or if you're at a gardening shop, um, like, figuring out from the people that work there and that know the area and the climate and everything, what tends to grow best. Um, Because different varieties grow differently, different places. Exactly. Um, So I noticed in in looking at the different tomatoes that you have listed on your heirloom series under people you you're you're our indigo rose i have indigo rose growing in the front yard uh, by the way here, oh good yeah by, here that's at the, a, it's a trendy tomato is it okay i've never had one before oh, so God, this, yeah. is, this is the first year so this is the first oh, year oh yeah so we, we wait gr- when did you plant them um they've been in the ground about 30 days Okay. Wow. You planted early. Oh yeah. Well, I'm in you're Phoenix. A, you're in Arizona. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Phoenix, Arizona. So it's uh, we actually could have a little pl- different. <laughs> we could have planted in January. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and and February is not out of the question. That's so funny. Yeah. So and well, you know, our our best tomato season runs from about mid March because my mom's already harvesting tomatoes off of her back patio. Mid March to. That's- I know, isn't that wonderful? 
to about mid-June when, you know, it just gets so hot that the pollen dies and we don't get a whole lot of tomatoes anymore. That's that's our window here. Uh, But I noticed I noticed you have mortgage lifter on your list. Mm -hmm. Have have you eaten one of those? I have. They're they're actually not my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm offending someone by saying that. I don't know. (laughs) It's a good thing this isn't on camera because I think I just made this like horrified face. face. (laughs) I I plant them mostly because I like the name. Uh huh. And, and because they're they're like a good sort of supplemental plant. Mm-hmm. I only plant two of those, though, so, um, uh. maybe three. And they're for whatever reason they seem to be there when I don't have tomatoes on other plants. On other plants, yeah. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, so they're nice sense. little like fillers for my basket. Yeah. And I, they taste they taste great. Um, I just they're not the most beautiful, uh, and uh-huh. they're not like. I don't get super excited about them the same way I do about my copper rivers, for example. Mm. So name one. Um, name one of your name top one of tomatoes. my favorites. Yeah, definitely copper rivers. I feel like black Russians are also a good a good favorite. Mm-hmm. The sun sugars are my favorite cherry tomato, but I feel like that's a very obvious one. I love marble stripes. Mm-hmm. I love lemon boys because they're super plentiful um, oh, yes. and they tend to be great with other tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little addition and pop of color and they kind of, you know, they're a very sort of plain tasting tomato, if that uh-huh. makes sense. So if you put that with like a Cherokee purple or something else, oh, yes. it's going to blend really well and it'll mm-hmm. be beautiful and tasty. So I have I have a question for you. I have a tomato growing in my front yard. First year I've ever grown it. Okay. Uh, it's called Grunge in the Sky. Have you ever heard of it? I have never heard of yeah. that. I love it. Cool. I will. Here's what I'll do. I will save some of the seeds. If we get tomatoes, I will save some of the seeds and send them over to you. Amazing. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So we. I actually have about. Let's see. Uh, probably 25 tomatoes planted in the front and backyard here at the urban farm right now. So, um, that's a great number. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I have a friend who is a uh, farm mentor, Scott Murray. He's been on the show before and I'm following his uh, method of planting this year with black plastic mulch. And then I, I noticed in the second episode, when you walk down the rows, they were using stakes and strings to hold mm-hmm. the tomatoes up. Yep, I've discovered how to do that this year, and I'm doing that. Good, yeah. good, good. Because I assume that's the way you grow them. Yes, it is. Um, so, if you so in the episode, I think you're talking about that is Lynn Brown's farm. Yes, mine don't quite look that perfect. <laughs> um, yes, yes. I don't. I like Raul and I have tried so hard to master it. Um, but for whatever reason, my tomatoes just don't grow quite as beautifully, which is fine because they're tasty and plentiful. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting a little bit better each year. Something that I, I learned that was really helpful was to make sure all of the leaves at the bottom of the plant were off and away ah. so that my plant isn't bottom heavy, if that makes sense. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Why is that important? So for me, it's an aesthetic thing, first and foremost, which is it's not important, Mm -hmm. but it's actually important because you want to keep the tomatoes off the ground. You want to keep the leaves off the ground. You don't want the 
meat of the plant basically to come in contact with the ground mm-hmm. in case any mites or bugs or anything like that can infect the plant. And so if that happens though, like if you do have tomatoes that are growing sort of on the dirt, just take like a brick or a stone or something mm. and prop the tomato up, up to keep it. it off the ground. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. There was definitely one year where I had like 5 million rocks in, yeah. in gardens propping <laughs> tomatoes up. Well, cause yeah. as, as a teacher of gardening here in Phoenix for many, many decades, I find that people are very hesitant to prune it's like I've got this tomato plant or mm-hmm. I've got this fruit tree and I got to leave it all in place. I'll yeah. That's not the case though. No, no. It's, yeah. I think for me, for as someone who doesn't cook, does, didn't grow anything prior to this, I think there was always this sort of fear of, oh my God, I'm going to hurt it or, oh my God, I'm going to kill it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the very first tomato plant I put in the ground, I just remember like being so afraid, like Raul was standing there with me and he was like, you've got to spread the roots out. And I was like, I, I don't, but what if I break it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like, you're not going to break the plant, I promise. And so I think that, I think that there's always this fear of, oh, if I prune it, it won't grow right or it, mm-hmm. it'll stunt it or something like that. Um but yeah, you just have to jump in and do it. Yeah. And plants aren't quite as fragile as as we make them out to be. Right. So what's the most common mistake young farmers make? Oh, that's a good question. Let's think. I mean, I think the biggest thing is kind of not knowing what to plant Mm. and not knowing where to plant it Mm -hmm. for tomatoes. I think a big thing that I've seen as like a semi tomato expert that, um, you know, all of a sudden I've had just so many conversations about tomatoes and it's great um, because I'm learning about people that are planting tomatoes in Georgia and now Arizona mm, and right. Virginia and New York upstate and everything. But typically I think with tomatoes, the biggest mistake is overwatering them. Oh yes. And there's this sort of, conception of a tomato being um you know so much water in the fruit and so they must need water mm-hmm. and that's actually not the case they they thrive in as you know dry sort of yeah. climates where where they're really stressed mm-hmm. and so i love to use drip irrigation and just have it on for a few minutes every day yeah. and kind of let the let the sun do the rest yeah, they need they need consistent watering. That's true. Yeah. yeah, and I mean the thing about like having a drip irrigation, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. I, it sounds like it's such a fancy thing, but you can go to Home Depot and get the tubes and get everything, and it like it's forty bucks. You know, yeah. it's it's so simple, and then you don't have to worry about it, mm-hmm. and you don't have to like measure how much water you're using or anything like that yeah yeah cool 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 anything else you want to say about tomatoes before we move on i don't know i I feel like i want to ask you about grunge in the sky Um. (laughs) (laughs) grunge in the sky well when i find out i will let you know 
Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. It's such a cool name, isn't it? It is. That's why I bought it. That's why I bought it. We have a local. See, that's that's half the reason you should buy whatever tomato plants are speaking to you. Exactly. Yeah, we have a local grower here that uh, Suzanne, and she she just grows out all these amazing tomato varieties every year. She usually has thirty or forty every year, and ten or fifteen of them are new ones that she's never grown before. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, so we get them as you know as four four inch potted plants and they're you know four to eight inches tall and that's what we start with in february and march here right right yeah so all right so i'm going to shift on you and i'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it my mind is still a little bit on tomatoes um okay so i'm i'm, I'm gonna give you a tomato story I, so the very first year that I had the 250 plants, so uh-huh. my, my first year really selling tomatoes. I can't even, I, I can't even imagine 250 tomato plants. 25 tomato plants makes more tomatoes than, than I can even imagine. And 10 times that would, that kind of blows me away. It's, it's a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of tomatoes. I'm thinking about planting some other stuff this year, so mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes, just to balance it out. Yeah. Um, but I, the very first year that I had the garden, I had had a dear friend of mine, Harlan Kleiman, and his family up for sort of a Sunday brunch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And his wife is this amazing nutritionist, Sandy Kleiman, in the Bay Area. Um, And Harlan had been influential in founding, like, MTV and very big networks. And we just had this day of walking around the garden and picking our tomatoes and, you know, baking ciabatta from scratch sandy and doing fun things like that and having this gorgeous lunch Uh and the garden was just so beautiful it was in full bloom i think it was august 5th it was that time where all of the sort of big beef steaks are coming in Mm -hmm. and you've got like all of the earlier blooming tomatoes still there uh, but you're starting to get some of the later season tomatoes coming in too and it's just very green and lush sort of in this two, two and a half week period and everything was great. And I left to go back to New York. And so when I'm in New York, I text Raul and I, you know, I say, Hey Raul, like, can you deliver 50 pounds to chalkboard, like 50 pounds to Barton Diva, 25 pounds to Ralph. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's how we sort of manage the tomato deliveries. Uh Um, and so a couple of days after this event, uh, I, you know, I started getting these panicked text messages from some of the chefs that I supply tomatoes to. And they were like, so instead of, you know, just a 15 pound delivery, they wanted 40 pounds or, you know, everyone was clamoring for more tomatoes. Wow. And I was like, oh, this is great. That's like a- all of a sudden business is booming. Yeah. Fabulous. And so... I told Ralph he could have 50 pounds and then I texted Raul and, you know, said, Hey, you know, here's the stitch. And Raul texted back and he goes, okay, so no more tomatoes. And I was like, wait, what? What? And so apparently there had been a hailstorm 
um, oh. like two days after I left and it sort of destroyed the garden and I flew back as soon as I could and when I walked in it was still like there was this mist in the air it was still like very cool mm-hmm. and it was sort of like a graveyard it was really depressing like there was there were no ripe tomatoes there were a few green tomatoes uh-huh. but like nothing the garden was just stinted it was not growing nothing and I was just sort of crestfallen um, and I felt mm, like I was it. in this weird place because, you know, I, I, I have set deliveries to all of these restaurants yeah. and so I felt like I was failing. I like, I wasn't doing my job and I also didn't want them to go find another farmer and to lose the business, you yeah. know? So I just remember going around to everyone and it was one of the hardest conversations I had had. Like just being like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. Like this is, you know, it was kind of my first year gardening mm-hmm. and everyone was so kind about it. They were like, don't worry. You know, everyone's having this problem. Mm-hmm. We get it. We're going to change up our menu, everything. And I even like at one point, it sort of got me started like problem solve thinking mindset. And so you know, I was totally ready to start selling fried, like fried green tomato kind uh-huh. of thing. Yeah. And like figuring out how to market that and how to like make that a thing in Healdsburg or something. <laughs> but I did go to Lynn Brown and he told me about this magic formula called fish emulsion, oh, um, yes. which apparently you're supposed to plant a couple times a season. Yep. And I had never heard of it. So it was my first time using the fish emulsion and just sort of like the garden like came right back yeah. uh, within, within days. Within it was days, incredible. Yes. And so I think that for me, like there was this dual lesson of don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to like explain to people mm. when you're having a problem doing what you said you will do. Yeah. You know, that's a big thing for me of like, when when you say you're going to do something like get it done you know yeah and so but sometimes mother nature gets in the way (laughs) and that was another that was another sort of thing for me too of like you know life has its own plans right and sometimes you have to just kind of go with the flow and people understand people get it Mm -hmm. and so that's that's my my epic that's probably my biggest tomato farming scandal Scandal. Failure. <laughs> Listen to you. Yes. Failure is a better word. That was that was quite epic. That was quite epic. I've had a few of those yeah. along the way. So and I love your learnings <laughs> from it. What do you consider your biggest success? Again, I'm gonna go to tomatoes. Okay. <laughs> I think I think my biggest success with the tomatoes and with heirloom has really just been the most fulfilling part for me has been the reaction, whether that is sort of the notes and the tweets and Mm. the messages that I get from people who have found the series Mm -hmm. and just about how much it inspired them. You know, a lot of women have written me and they're just like, I am Emily. Like, I don't think you understand. I'm working this job that I don't like. And all I want to do is go move out and start farming. And I even like started my, like, started this little like garden on my porch, you know, things like that. Um, And so that's sort of the connection that I've been able to make and to be able to inspire others to go down their own paths. I think that's, 
that's one of my biggest successes with the series. And then with the tomatoes, you know, I just love watching someone take a tomato from my hands and like uh-huh. hold it. And there's this, it's almost like there's a glow that pops up onto their face uh-huh. because they're slightly afraid of it. Uh-huh. It's slightly majestic and it's gorgeous and they know it's going to taste good. And then that moment of being like, okay, it's okay. You can bite into it. And then watching <laughs> them actually take that bite. Yeah. It's just priceless. It's yeah. priceless. So that's, that's one of my favorite, my favorite yeah. things about about this whole journey. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, I get to inspire people too about growing their own food. And that for me is one of my biggest successes as well is when, when I get feedback from people and they say, Oh, I, I, I had this guy the other day. I was at the farmer's market shopping at the farmer's market and I walked into his booth. I didn't, I don't really know him. Um, I've seen him a couple of times and he walked up to me and he said, Oh my gosh, Greg, thank you so much. Your podcast changed my life. And then he proceeded to tell me over the course of the next couple of minutes, what he did and how this, how the steps he took. And it was like, Oh, that's epic. Yeah. 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 So I can completely get that. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's like it, we're, we know we're doing our work in the world. Wouldn't you think? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the work in the world should and could be connecting with each other, you know, uh-huh. like in, yep. In all of these different ways, mm-hmm. but I think that that's what's so fun and just being able to dive in and meet people that are doing different things and figuring yeah. out what they're doing that's kind of inspiring to you and yeah. taking that with you as you move forward in your life. Um, I think that's really cool. Yay, yay. So what drives you? Coffee. <laughs> I'm driven by people. I like, I'm definitely as much as I'm a bit of an introvert. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love connecting with each, with people. Um, and I love experiencing new things and meeting new people and having new experiences. Mm -hmm. And I sort of, you know, wake up every morning and think about, how I can serve, um, and how I can also have so much fun and learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And so I just sort of am, am driven by that, by, by, by solving the puzzle, by waking up and, you know, putting on my little explorer uniform into the world mm-hmm. and like figuring out what else is going on. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book or three that has been influential <laughs> for you in this process in your life? So I definitely think the complete works of William Shakespeare is probably the most influential thing mm-hmm. for me personally. I think anyone that knows me would, would say that. Although I haven't read all of his plays um, on purpose, I'm saving some to be able to have things to discover. Oh, um, Nice. Yeah, because cause once you run out, you're you're out. Like, you're out, not yeah. writing anymore. I right. don't know if you got the memo. But I definitely, there's um, seeing Shakespeare done well and being able to just sort of sit in a chair in the morning and re- reread one of his plays is definitely one of the bigger things that has been a 
been a constant in my life, Mm -hmm. even way before I was acting. I I loved Shakespeare. And so just his poetry and language and stories have really egged me on uh, to become, become an actor. Definitely. And then the other books, I definitely think the hours is my favorite novel of all time. Mm -hmm. Michael Cunningham, if you're listening, I think you should write something with a role for me in it. Um, (laughs) Basically, anything he writes makes my heart cry and laugh and sing. Mm -hmm. And definitely also Letters to a Young Poet was was a big one for me like when I was younger, Right. uh, when I was in high school. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? That's also a good one. I think, I think just go find what makes you come alive. Mm. That's, that's the best advice I think anyone ever gave me. The other piece of really good advice I was given was to never listen to advice. So. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Double-edged exactly. sword. Yeah, to take, to take advice with a grain of salt, too. I think that's an important thing. I yeah. think... You definitely always take wisdom and experiences from others, but, uh, you know, you are crafting your own, your own journey. So, yeah. So go craft away. So go craft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Peyton. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. I'm so glad I got to chat as well. Uh, Thanks for having me and for for chatting about tomatoes. You bet. So how can our listeners find you in the world? So I am on Twitter and Instagram. I'm a little bit better with Instagram than I am with Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie, but I'm trying really hard to tweet. So this will be good for me. My handle is at Treypay, T-R-E-S-P-A-Y. Perfect. Yeah. And then the series is, all nine episodes are up on Vimeo. Mm -hmm. So it's just vimeo.com slash channels slash heirloom the series. Nice. Nice, nice. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash heirloom. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, Or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.